All right, welcome back to the big program. Nine o'clock in Edmonton, and we have hooked up with Steve Bauer, and he is our headliner of the day, brought to you by Mr. Reuter. They are sports fans like all of our listeners and are totally pumped. Sports Talk Radio is back. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrreuter.ca as we welcome in Steve Bauer to the program. Good morning, Steve. You're with uh, Kevin Carries and Lori and Munzer, who facilitated this. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on Sports 1440. Uh, good day, everyone. So, uh, where are you? First of all, Steve, where are you? I'm in Antibes, France. In France, so, okay. Um, beautiful Provence. Oh, wow. Côte d'Azur. Oh, that sounds like a good place to be, I would imagine. <laughs> it's sunny. It's sunny right now. No, it's uh, decent weather here, Steve. As you know, the, the Canadian winters, wherever you are, uh, can be different in certain areas, uh, but we've had a pretty mild winter here. So, uh, Kevin Carries, Lorianne Munzer, I'll let you go, Lorianne, because you, obviously you have a, a strong connection with uh, Steve. So, take it away, Lorianne. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us here, Steve. Um, what are you doing in France right now? Are you training? Are you working with a team? Tell us what you're doing. Well, yeah, right now I'm I'm working for the professional team Israel Premier Tech. We just finished um, our first European race of the season, Tour de la Provence. It's called. It was a, a four day race. Um, sort of started in Marseille with a time trial and finished up in uh, Arles um, over over four days. And uh, we had a good run. It was it, we we won the last stage with Tom Van Asbroek, a Belgian rider. Uh, in the final sprint, um, but we had a little bit of bad luck. Even after some strong racing, we had a few guys wake up with uh, some tummy virus and, mm-hmm. and put them out of the race for the last stage. Otherwise, we would have probably finished second overall as well. But anyways, it was it was a strong start to our season, uh, winning a stage. So hmm. congratulations! And then I'm here, I'm here in um, Antibes to start uh, a race called Classic Var on uh, Friday. No, thir- Thursday. Excuse me. And then uh, a short two-day stage race called Les Alpes uh, Maritime. And we have some good Canadians in those those races. Uh, Michael Woods will be headlining that first race. And then Hugo Hulu will join us uh, for Les Alpes Maritime. So, yeah, we have uh, some inspiration to do well this coming weekend. Steve Bauer, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Lorianne Munzer on Sports 1440. Uh, in our last segment, Steve, Lorianne said that you are one of the reasons that she got into cycling. So when you hear that, what's that mean to you? Well, it's 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 really special, you know, considering that uh, Lorianne's a champion, and uh, I, I, I'm so happy to hear that I inspired her in some way to reach her her amazing goals and her successes of her career. Well, um, thank you. Thank you. We were talking a little earlier because I remember watching you in the 84 Olympics and coming down to, you know, just a, a neck and neck race. And, you know, we didn't have TSN, ESPN or, or the Internet to, to watch you race, but it was uh, the wide world of sports. And it's just sometimes you see someone doing an incredible feat like yourself and that just really plants a seed from there. So over to you with, uh, you know, 16, starting cycling, winning your third race, uh, Ontario uh, Summer Games. How did you get involved in cycling and then decide to go pro? Yeah, that, that's a little while ago, so I'll jog my memory banks a little <laughs> bit. Um, um, yeah, I think, it, the, to be honest, and it's a little bit funny, I was probably getting into way too much trouble. So um, my mother was reading the newspaper of the St. Catherine standard. And she had read that, you know, uh, Gordy Singleton and Karen strong, um, 
you know, two also great champions of Canadian sport uh, were in, you know, doing super well in the cycling club. And I was playing a bit of soccer, but getting into trouble. And so she's out, oh, you know, she knew that I loved to ride my bike. So she said, ah, maybe you should join that club, you know, so you give me a little nudge and, you know, push me into join the club. And I, I just, I just loved it, you know, jumping on the bike and racing is, I mean, it's bike, it's bike racing is racing, you know, it has that thrill of uh, adrenaline, you know, to go fast. And it, it really got me, uh, got me into the sport quickly. Um, and I did well because I was a, hockey player as a, as a youth and had the, you know, strong legs and good mm-hmm. aerobic capacity and all that developed through hockey, um, and other sports. And so, yeah, it just, I just, I just latched onto it from that, that time. I think I was about 15, 15 mm-hmm. at the time. They start younger now, but, um, yeah, it was a good time for me. Got me going. What kind of hockey player were you? I was a winger. Yeah. Um, probably, probably a feisty, uh, feisty <laughs> player, uh, I think I had a pretty good turn of speed. I, I wasn't that, I, I don't think I was that big. I, I played sort of up to junior B and, you know, where it's a pretty, pretty tough battlegrounds in hockey. You know, I think the next level to go to junior A, I, maybe I just wasn't like the strength or the, the big enough or skilled enough to reach that level. But I mean, hockey is our Canadian sport, mm-hmm. isn't it? So every, every kid loves to play hockey. Steve Bauer guesting with us on Sports 1440. Uh, let's just, Lorianne touched on it, the 1984 Olympics in L.A. Can you just, uh, uh, you know, circle back and, and, and express your memories and uh, the, the silver medal and what it all meant to you? Well, I was super fit. I had come off uh, what we called the Coors Classic uh, stage race at the time in Colorado. And it, the heat acclimatization and the altitude probably put me in the top shape for the Olympics in Los Angeles. It was is really the best physical preparation before the Olympic Games that year. So I was in really top shape and um, ended up, you know, being in the in the front front running with uh, Alexi Graywell in the last lap. And I almost I almost dropped him when when I caught him, but he had just enough to kind of latch onto my wheel, and he he didn't take any turns pulling on the front until the sprint. And I really I still had the confidence that I could beat him, but uh, I guess I overestimated his uh, his his sprint, and he just he just got me at the line. So you know it's a little bit the agony of defeat, you might say, <laughs> in the moment what they what they call. But you know I, I'm I'm still proud of that uh, that performance. Um, and then moving on to pro was just uh, the the most logical next step um, heading to Europe. Well, it was a great moment for, for us, but super proud of you. I don't think a lot of our listeners realize that the road racing is a little bit different and you do multiple races day after day or week after week. Tell us, what is our, your schedule like with your team? Um, I know you've got a few Canadians on the team, but what does a typical you know, quarter or a year look like and how many races will you be doing? Yeah, that's a, the, it's, it's a, it's a big schedule and, and, and definitely uh, Lorianne uh, road racing is much longer than uh, you know, the sprints on the, on the track that you, you were, was, it was your prowess, you know, going, going super fast over 200 meters. Um, you know, the, the, the pinnacle of the sport is obviously the Tour de France or the Giro d'Italia over, 21 days of racing and you know some of the stages are over 200 kilometers um it's it's obviously endurance sport but every every sort of capacity of you know the body is taken into consideration you still need to sprint as you did you know for 10 seconds uh 
Lorianne or, or, or a bit longer, you still need to climb, you know, short hills over, you know, four or five minutes at like high energy, or you need to climb mountains that are potentially 20, 20 kilometers long. So a road racer is super versatile and, um, you know, it's, it's sort of like a ne- never ending, never ending battle of, of keeping fitness or, or recuperating or, you know, being on track for the next performance. Um, our team has just finished up multiple different training camps. Um, we had a December camp uh, that was, say, I think it was about 12 days long. The whole entire group is there training, meetings, planning, programming, bike fits, uh, nutritional meetings, uh, you know, the whole gamut of professional um, planning. And then we're go- now we're going into the racing phase. So we've gone, you know, training camp, training camp, and now into the race phase. And we're, we're really just starting a, a season where the team race days will be about, uh, if I have the right number, 200, about 250 team race days. Each rider will do on average between 60 to uh, 75 race days. And over the season, they'll probably put in like 25 to 30,000 kilometers of, of, of mileage uh, on the road, maybe, maybe more. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a massive, it's just a massive energy consumption and attention to detail in every, every, every aspect, you know, it's probably, you know, I, I'm a little bit biased, but it's probably the toughest sport in the world in, 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 in many ways. Steve Bauer. Steve Bauer, our guest on Sports 1440, Kevin Carries and Lorianne Munzer with you on a Monday morning. Can you go back to your, your racing days in particular, the Tour de France, Steve, and how um, the success you had, I, I guess, would 88 be your your best uh, memory? You had the, the yellow jersey for, for five days, but just to touch on your Tour de France days. Yeah, that, that uh, 1988 is probably my best year on on results and and in the Tour de France I, I finished fourth uh fourth overall in in the race um I was in again it's all about being in like I mentioned just prior the about the season being in top shape it's a little bit about timing so you know I came into really really good shape there I'd had a really good Tour de Switzerland prior um Tour de Switzerland to be a 10-day race and then going into the Tour de France, I was in really top shape. had a had a really good team. We did a good team time trial, um, which uh, put me very close to get to get the jersey, the yellow jersey. And um, then I was able to defend it for you know a fairly uh, good period of time. But um, I think it was five days in 1988. Mm-hmm. And then in the mountains, you know, which is never ne- was never necessarily my prowess, but I was, you know, I was in really good shape, so I was able to sort of maintain my losses and, and finish fourth on the fourth on the on the race, close to the podium, not close enough because mm-hmm. fourth place is is definitely not the not the most fun place to be. It's always thirds a little bit better, you know, to be on the podium. But super proud of that that performance because it was you know my best tour de performance of my career. Hmm. That's fantastic. There, there are always stories when you're traveling, when you're training, you're racing. Um, and I find that, you know, in the Olympic arena and even after retirement, and you've taken it on with a pro career, any special memories of, you know, some incredible stories that maybe we didn't hear about or we didn't know about or just something that really resonated with you with some of your travels either now or when you were an athlete 
is there anything jumping out for you? Uh, interesting question. I guess it, it could really go off cycling on this one. Uh, um, uh, maybe to summarize, it's, it's. I think it's. Re- I'm really fortunate to be able to to travel and see different parts of the world. Um, you know, doing my sport, still doing that. I mean, still travel is, is is it can be you know a pain in the rear end because it can be tough. But you know, even even today, like I'm in Antibes, uh, you know, I'll go for a walk. It's beautiful sunshine. You have the you know the ocean front. Uh, I was looking to rent a bike, you know, to get some exercise in. Um, but at the meantime, I'm still doing doing some business work and catching up on meetings, etc. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had to pick out some interesting stories uh, throughout my career. You know, there's there's the infamous battles of leaders like Bernard Hinault and Greg LeMond fighting for the Tour de France win. And as a teammate, I, you know, I see this battle happening before my eyes. And so both guys can win the Tour de France, but um, you, you kind of try to have to side with one or the other because mm-hmm. it was uh, – uh, if you look into the history of cycling, it's one of the most fierce battles for the for the Tour de France uh, victory, right. and um, they're both on the same team, which is which is super rare. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have different riders that are in between, and the you know the, the dinner table is completely separate. You know, you got the French guys on one side and the English speaking guys <laughs> on the other side. You know. Uh, so it was, it, was, it was, and then there's Greg who thinks that the mechanics are going to espionage his bike because, and the French people are going to pull him off his bike because they want Hino to win his record sixth victory. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty epic uh, historic part of the my 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 career. That was 1986, wow. my second my second year pro. A little while ago, but interesting story. Yeah, one last one for you, Steve, because I know you got to get rolling here. But uh, how often do you get back to Canada, and how would you, from uh, a perspective over in Europe, what would you say the state of Canadian cycling is right now? Well, I, I get back to Canada quite quite often. I was just in Canada um, before I flew over for this this race, but now I have a fairly good uh, block of races right through. Uh, what we call the classics of, uh, you know, Tour of Flanders, Milan-San Remo, Paris-Roubaix. So my stretch will go right through April now in Europe. Um, then I'll get back to Canada. Uh, I would say that the the situation is 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 excellent, um, but we can always do better. Mm-hmm. I think there's some some great things that happen, and and Lorianne would be be close to this one is the, you know, the the track racing, the velodrome uh, development in Milton for the Pan American Games was really a a wonderful, a wonderful facility that's really facilitated uh, development of our of our great athletes. Um, I understand that you know in in Edmonton that they're getting close to yeah. building a, a, an additional velodrome, which is going to be amazing because um, these these facilities um, really do provide the opportunity for athletes to discover cycling for one, uh, for people that aren't necessarily athletes that uh, want to ride and enjoy, enjoy the a facility like that. But yeah, the most importantly, the high performance has really been pushed to the new levels, hmm. um, particularly for a, 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 a nation like ours. It's, that's pretty cold sometimes <laughs> of the year, you know, so indoor cycling can really help us. Hmm. Um, but also, you know, we have new mentors, you know, um, Michael Woods, a phenomenal athlete. Now, now people are looking up to Michael or, or the Hugo Hules or the Guillaume Boivins or the Derek G's uh, that did phenomenal things in the Giro d'Italia last year. We really, 
you know, all these guys have come from different parts of, of Canada. Derek G rode the track. Um, you know, Mike Woods was a runner, but now we have world champions um, such as Dylan Bibick, who's uh, who who grew up on the Milton track. You know, I remember him coming to the velodrome at 12 years old, and now he's a, you know junior world champion and a senior world champion on the track. Um, and we'll have more. And there's there's some other guys I haven't named that have just become world champions. Um, from the velodrome racing so yeah i think we're doing okay but mm-hmm. uh we always aspire to more right yeah. right laurianne more is more is better and th- yeah. that's what it's all about and that's going to be really interesting too because they're getting closer and closer to the finish of building the velodrome here in edmonton mm-hmm. so uh out west or out east in milton and then also out west yeah. here is, is two world-class facilities. And if you don't have the facilities, especially in the wintertime, it makes training hard if you can't go abroad to warmer clients. It's only going to grow. It's only going to oh, grow. Absolutely. Hey, Steve, thanks so much for uh, coming on from France. It's great that you had the, the, the chance to, to speak with us and we had the, the chance to kind of check in with you. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate that. Thank that's, you. Yeah, that's Have a Steve, great day. Yeah, you too. That's Steve Bauer, Olympic cyclist, won the silver in 1984 for Canada. And our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. There's a reason that they call him uh, Mr. For all your plumbing needs, go to mrreuter.ca. When we come back, Matt Devlin, Toronto Raptors play-by-play man. Coming up, Karius Munzer on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. Time now for the game of the day, brought to you by St. Albert Dodge. Over 300 new Dodge, Ram, and Jeeps are available. 0% for up to 72 months on select models. 0% also available on Ram 1500s only at St. Albert Dodge. Check them out at stalbertdodge.com as we welcome in Matt Devlin from the Toronto Raptors, play-by-play man. Matt, welcome back to Sports 1440. You're with Kevin Carries and Olympic gold medalist, Lorianne Munzer. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing great out here. And our game of the day will be uh, the Raptors taking on the San Antonio Spurs tonight. What do you make of this one? I guess it's kind of almost two teams similar in the sense that they're both in sort of a, a rebuilding mode, Matt. Yeah, they are. I mean, it didn't start the season like that for the Toronto Raptors, but uh, the moves were made and uh, the course is now set. Uh, so I'm excited to... to see this one i'm excited actually for raptor fans to see victor Wembenyama, who the raptors saw you know earlier this year uh and a come from behind win uh in san antonio so this one should be fun uh you know the raptors you know are younger now within that starting five as well as uh off of the bench so uh it's an exciting time to see the development of these young players as you know now there's only two games left prior to the start of the all-star break. So uh, for the Raptors, you know, important to, you know, keep moving forward and keep trying to uh, string some W's together just from a, a learning standpoint. What do you make of uh, Victor Wembanyama in the sense of where he's at as kind of a, one of the newer faces of the, of the league and, you know, tons of potential, but uh, just your overall thoughts on, on a young player kind of, I guess still trying to find his way, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that that's what you would expect, but he is just an unbelievable talent and the skill set that he can provide night in and night out, the ability to shoot, stretch the floor, vision, passing, 
work ethic, unselfishness. Uh, really excited to see what the future holds for him. And if you're San Antonio, uh, you know, now's the time to start adding pieces around him uh, because you do have your foundation player, right? The, the one in which, you know, you're going to build around. And uh, very much like the Toronto Raptors with Scotty Barnes, you know, headed to the all-star game. But the decision to um, move on from OG and Pascal and make the necessary moves because they looked around and said, okay, you know, Scotty is the one to build around now. Um, and let's move forward in that direction. Hmm. When you're talking about, uh, Matt, the team being younger, what does the younger team bring versus, you know, having a veteran presence? How much of a difference does that bring to the plays in the game and the preparation? Well, I think from a preparation standpoint, there's certainly a lot more teaching going on, right? I mean, Darko Ryakovich has talked about that. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, that what does that mean? You know, that means, you know, there's video. It means um, not only, you know, working on specific aspects of your game, but then collectively uh, working on what, you know, they want to do from an offensive as well as a defensive uh, structure. They still have a couple of veteran players, which I think is important to have because Kelly Olenek being one of those, you know, who wants to be here. He's from Toronto, uh, born in Toronto, grew up in, in Kamloops. But I think it's important, you know, for uh, the Raptors to have players like that because they become, you know, additional voices to, you know, this is the process that uh, is important to be involved in. And this will ultimately lead to, um, you know, winning. And, and that's ultimately what it's about, right? You know, get the players individually to get better and then work on collectively uh, being better together. And then the combination of those two things, you know, you can now, you know, win games. And, and a lot of that um, is, you know, people think from an offensive standpoint, but, you know, certainly when you when you speak to you know, working collectively, a lot of that is from a defensive standpoint. And and that's always the hardest thing with the younger team is finding those consistent minutes defensively. We saw that on Friday night with the Houston Rockets. Uh, Saturday night, you know, we didn't see that uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but that was a good game for the Raptors to be involved in because the Cavaliers are a team that's won nine in a row, uh, they have the best record uh, in the NBA since uh, the middle of December. They've lost only four games since that time. Uh, over the last 18 games, they've only lost once. And so you could just see, okay, this is a team that no one's really talking about, but yet look at how they play defensively. Look at how they play together offensively. And, you know, to have that exposure as a young player to see that, is beneficial. Matt Devil in Toronto Raptors play-by-play man is our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Lorianne Munzer on Sports 1440. Matt, what did you make of uh, the deadline deals that the Raptors made, in particular the Canadian Kelly Olin coming in? No, I really liked it. It's, you know, started with the OG Ananobi where you bring in R.J. Barrett, who is from Mississauga, as well as Emmanuel Quickly, and Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, 
talked at length about the timeline, right? Having players in that same range from an age standpoint. Scotty Barnes is 22, RJ is 23, Manuel Quickly is 24. And then the next move you make is Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bring in Bruce Brown. He's 27 years of age, as well as a couple of first-round picks. And then the latest deal is Kelly Olynyk, um, as well as Ochai Abaji. And Abaji is 23 years of age. Now, Kelly is a veteran, but he is somebody that has been in this situation before. And I just think it's really important to have someone like him, not only just as a person within the locker room, but then his ability as a stretch five. He's shooting 42% from three-point range. You know, I just think that that's, you know, important uh, to have as they grow together, you know, down the remaining, you know, 29 games of the season. He is a free agent, but, you know, the the reality of it is Raptors want to re-sign Kelly. And, you know, Kelly also, you know, has uh, you know said that he would love to uh, remain in Toronto. It's a childhood dream of his to play, you know, for the Toronto Raptors. So, um, you know, I think the Raptors felt comfortable making that deal because of that. Mm-hmm. Matt, when you were talking about there's only two games to go until the All-Star break, how much does this break impact the performance of a team? I mean, we've seen it with hockey, uh, with just recently last weekend, the All-Star uh, games, there was breaks, and then the team's coming back. How much of an impact will this have on the team? Well, there's, you know, always uh, Hubie Brown, Hall of Fame, Famer, you should always tell me there's, you know, four games that you look at on the calendar that if your team is really dialed in, uh, you get those. Or if you can have a winning record in those four games, it will really help. And and that's, you know, the first game leading into, you know, Christmas time, although in the NBA, as we know, they'll play on Christmas Day, the first game back from that. And then also the first game or last game part of me before all-star and then the first game back right and so last game prior to christmas first game back last game prior to all-star first game back after all-star and the reason why is because you know typically in the holiday time as we know there's you know you're making plans you're seeing family uh same thing with all-star making plans Um, and, you know, where is your focus, right? And so, you know, those are games uh, that, you know, Hubie used to always kind of circle and really get his team dialed in to winning. Uh, Nick Nurse took that approach. Dwayne Casey also had that approach. Uh, Darko Ryakovich, first-time um, head coach, I'm sure he has that approach as well. And And you really want your players to buy into, hey, let's not – think about you know being on a plane headed to a warm area yet you know let's go ahead let's grab a w um the other thing about this wednesday night game it's the return of pascal siakam uh in the indiana pacers so there'll be a special moment there but can you spoil his return uh, as they did with fred van vliet with the Houston Rockets, although Fred didn't play. So uh, those are games in which you have to be dialed in. And again, you have a young team. So, you know, those are things that, you know, you need to 
uh, expect, but then also express, you know, the, the importance of, of being locked in. Definitely. Matt Devlin, our guest on Sports 1440. Uh, the uh, A couple of minor roster moves, Matt, but one that really uh, caught my eye because he played here with the Alberta Golden Bears. So the Raptors picked up a, a couple of guys, promoted them uh, from the Raptors 905, one of them, uh, Mamadou Gay, who played for the Alberta Golden Bears, uh, oh, seven or seven years ago or so. Uh, so I, is there any chance a guy like Mamadou Gay could see a little bit? It's a 10-day contract. Any chance that he could see a little bit of floor time here? Yeah, you, you, you know what? In, you know, the other being Justice Winslow, yeah. who's, you know, former lottery pick uh, with the Miami Heat, had some injuries, uh, 27 years of age. Um, there might be a chance, depending on the different scenarios, you know, that transpire. Um it may be unlikely, but I would never say, no, that won't happen. And the reason why is because you don't know ultimately which way the game is going to swing. If you're up big or down big, yes, you know, you may see those scenarios. But, you know, those are ways in which when you have roster, you know, roster spots to also reward players that um, are playing in the G League because those 10-day contracts, are extremely valuable in order to get money uh, to those players because at the G League level, you may only be making $50,000. Um, there may be other ways with respect to uh, training camp where you can also get some other uh, dollars. But when you bring a player up for a 10-day, you know, that is, you know, at the minimum, you know, 100000 mm-hmm. and it could go up from there. So that in some cases is a reward to a player saying, Hey, you really worked hard. Uh, you've done a great job. We, you know, we want, you know, appreciate, you know, what you're doing. And so we're going to bring you up uh, to the big team. I think it would be just great if you got to see a little bit of action, just great for the golden bears program and, you know, for university basketball here in Canada. So looking forward to it. Uh, just a quick thought on, on tonight's game again, Matt, with the, the Spurs, uh, you know, two teams that are, you know, at the bottom parts of the, the, the standings in both the East and the West, but just your thoughts uh, with the Spurs and Raptors hooking up tonight. No, I look, I, I like it. You have two young stars in Victor Wembenyama and Scotty Barnes. And uh, the last time they met Raptors won in overtime. And this one should be an exciting one and fans should enjoy it just based upon uh, the star potential of both uh, Victor Wembenyama as well as Scotty Barnes. And so uh, should be a fun one tonight. Hey, Matt, really appreciate your time. Have a good call tonight. We'll be watching. Thanks for this. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. That's Matt Devlin, Toronto Raptors play-by-play man as the Raptors take on the San Antonio Spurs tonight in Toronto as the uh, All-Star break's creeping up. It'll be uh, a couple games left for the Raptors before uh, the break. And that is our game of the day brought to you by St. Albert Dodge with an industry-leading 4.6 Google review rating. Head up the trail to St. Albert Dodge. See how easy it is to do all the great business with the great people at St. Albert Dodge. When we come back... Lorian Munzer, are you in or are you out? Stay tuned. <laughs> so you're, you're telling me you're, there's a chance. Oh, I'm you, in. No, <laughs> I'm in for in or out. There was oh, a chance. I thought maybe I was doing it by myself with the Duke. I don't know. You looked at me like I was on another planet. Well, I wasn't there. sure if it was a question or a statement. Yeah. No. Are you in or are you out for in or out? I'm in. Okay. Totally. Lorian's in. Uh, that's coming up right after the break on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to the big program. Time now for 
Are you in or are you out, Duke? Okay, okay, you know what? Moving too fast. Bottom line, are you in or are you out? In or out or what? No time for questions, just action. In or out. Well, then I'm out. I'm sorry, Jet. Actually, you're already in. Are you in or are you out? On Sports 1440. I thought you would go, I'm in, Bob. We would have had a really cool moment, but uh, you kind of ruined the whole thing. See, L.A., the Duke came through with a, a few more little tidbits in there, a couple more little snippets, harbingers. So. I like it. Well, that's what the Duke does. Got to keep me busy somehow, right, wow. Kev? Was it hard for you to do the this uh, edition like last night? I mean, you got... I, I had more things, but I wanted to give, you know, I, I could have had five exclusively oh. Super Bowl topics, yes. I think, but I wanted to give a little oh. more blend, and I feel a little oh, guilty sure. leaving a, a Nick Taylor topic out of the mix. But what's to say, what's to be in or out on? I think everybody's in on, uh, on Nick Taylor's big win uh, down in Phoenix over yeah. the weekend. The so. only in or out thing I could think of is the question we said right off the hop. Is it a bigger win... Then, then the Canadian Open. The Canadian Open, yeah, I no, agree. I don't so, know. a lot um, of people are split on it. We will start with the Edmonton Oilers uh, going one and one over the weekend uh, down in SoCal. The beginning of what was a bit of an experiment for head coach Chris Knobloch, uh, switching up some of the deep pairings. And I'm saying, while that uh, it was welcome and uh, encouraged, I think by a lot of the fan base and pundits, uh, Coach Knobloch should revert to the defensive formula that secured them a 16-game winning streak. You know, I'm going to go. I'm in on this to go back to what the success was. Having said that, Duke and LA, the coach's favorite word, one of them is always is options. Have options. Let me have this option to put this into play so I can look at this formula to see if we'll have success at this or whatever it may be. But I'm going to go, yeah, I'm in on this. He should go back to having a CC with with Nurse, Ekholm with Bouchard, and then DeHarnay with Kulak. I think you're always looking at changes to see if you can even improve what you already had. But in my opinion right now, I would go back to what it was uh, starting tomorrow against Detroit. Nice. Hey, LA. What I'm do you going think? the other way. All I'm right. going out. Perfect. I think it's because you got to try new things. But I think going back to the old way, I think uh, Knobloch is going to come up with a plan C. He's going to come up with a combination. There are some things that, yeah, I think worked really well. But uh, I think there's going to be a few mm-hmm. new things that we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. All right. Split right there, Duke. Split down the middle. Uh, what, do you, what do you think? You're. Uh, I either or I, I you guys talked about it you and Speck a little bit earlier yeah. about Vincent DeHarnay and kind of earning the right to maybe see some more minutes and get an elevation in the lineup. Mm-hmm. This team will have its greatest amount of success when Vincent DeHarnay is playing on your third pairing. And that's not a knock on him. It's more so an um an accreditation to how this decor has played so far this year. And I Cody CC in, in an ideal world on a Stanley Cup winning team maybe isn't a top pairing D man. But realistically, the results you can't really argue with. The, is his puck moving uh, as, as a lead as maybe you'd like from a top-pairing guy? Maybe not. But until you have another body that is a substantial Legit. and definitive improvement yeah. over what Cody Cece brings you there um, through the trade market or elsewhere, I think it is uh, for the time being. Because they're, they're still, like, yes, they're right back in the middle of the playoff race mm-hmm. and comfortably so. But you still want to try and catch Vegas to get home ice. Um, you know, if you could rattle off another great win streak all of a sudden and hope for a Vancouver trip up, you can maybe have them in your sights. It's unlikely. Yeah. But I, I think for the time being, until you get to another point of comfortability, uh, 
just go back to what works and kind of ride that wave for a little bit, get the team back on tracks after a, a kind of tough game Saturday night in L.A. We'll we'll find out a little bit more tomorrow uh, for the game, but uh, we'll probably even actually probably know today at by, practice by at 11 o'clock. Practice, You'll see yeah. what the, what it is, and then that'll be what the uh, lineup is moving forward for tomorrow. We will see. Uh, moving back to the Super Bowl from yesterday, uh, San Francisco. We, we've broke it down quite a bit already this morning, and we'll do even more so with Shereen Williams coming up after 10 o'clock uh, live from Las Vegas. But uh, whether it be the, the fumbles, the missed point after attempt, not scoring off of Chiefs turnovers, uh, I still think San Francisco's biggest mistake yesterday was electing to receive the kick to start overtime. <sighs> when we touched on this off the top, I think it was a big mistake. I don't know if it's the biggest one. I think it's one of them, so I'll say I'm out saying it's the biggest one. I I kind of think even really I think the uh, the fumble on the on the punt, the yeah the kick, the, muffed the, kick, the, you know, off the foot it's, first, it's right? Tough. It's it's it immediately yeah. everyone was chastising uh, McLeod, but. Went um, off the foot first. It went off the foot yep. first of the defender. So I think that was because he ended up scoring on that right after. So I'm going to go, that was the biggest play of the game for me, although this is a very close second. And again, I, I always, we touched on it off the top in the sense of, you know what you have to do uh, with that second position. And I get the fact that if you if it goes to a third, then you have the opportunity. The sudden death possession. You see it all. But, but you got to get there first. Yep. And I think the, when, and I think it depends on who you're playing against. In this situation, you were up against Patrick Mahomes, who just uh, kind of went like putting them right back out there. I mm-hmm. think would have been better than giving the Chiefs like offense time on the sideline to regroup and like I don't want to say catch their breath. They're pro athletes. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe they needed a break. Maybe that's how Shannon thought. Maybe the defense needed a break. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Like, I mean, he said after the game, he did say because of the possibility of having the possession third. That's why he took. Took the, took the but ball. then there's some headlines today, and I haven't had a chance to read a lot of the articles yet as uh, we've yeah. been on air, but some apparently think, like, the Niners players did not know the rules of overtime. Well, if that's the neither case, did I. <laughs> yeah, start, you know, <laughs> yeah I but mean, you're not playing in the no. game, Kev. And I mean, I mean, that again, that to me, that is a bad rule how it ended, how that ends with the time, mm-hmm. you know, because then it is irrelevant, the yeah. clock. Yeah, the clock, the clock is virtually irrelevant. Yeah. Interesting. LA? Well, do you know when they switched the rule for the overtime? Uh, this is the first year of this new playoff uh, rule. It's only the second overtime game in Super Bowl history. Yeah. I believe. So uh, Falcons-Patriots, right. was that the first? And that was a different rule. And yeah, that, that was a sudden death sudden death thing, right? And then they changed um, to, you know, both teams. If a field goal, then you get the, the second possession, but off a touchdown, it's, it's over. Mm-hmm. This was the, the first time we're seeing this version of it and it all basically was born out of the fact when Patrick Mahomes with the 13 seconds to beat the Bills right that that it was like how do we have such a great football game and we don't even get to see the ball in Josh Allen's hands in overtime you win the coin toss you not not 100% but essentially Mm -hmm. a team of this caliber at this level you're telling me they can't score so it, it almost certainly wins in the game off a coin toss yeah so I'm in. Okay. Um, I think it was a mistake. I also think not knowing all of the rules and um, part of the game plan prep, it you've got to be able to counter every possible option that's going to come up, and this is probably one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and Shanahan's defended it, like he said, it was the analytics and all this, but I, I just can't make sense of it. Yeah. Why? Why this was the route they decided to go, but. 
because uh, then uh, Mahomes said if the Chiefs had won the toss, they would defer. They yes. they would have they would have received. So yeah, um, yeah little little confusing. But uh, back to Saturday night's uh, tilt between the sad, uh, Senators and the Maple Leafs. Uh, Morgan Riley getting into it with Ridley Gregg uh, is going to have an in person hearing with Department of Player Safety, um, which makes it an, a possibility to be six or more games. And I'm saying that uh, that will be true. He's gonna he's gonna kind of get the book thrown at him for a play that was not in. In play after a whistle, head contact, cross checking. Uh, there's a lot of boxes <laughs> checked off here that I think uh, DOPS will maybe throw the book at at Riley. It's, Go ahead, Ellie. It's not a lot of good boxes, and <laughs> I'm totally in on this one. Um, yeah, this. Yeah, I think it's going to go higher than six. Ooh. I think this is time to really set a precedent, and I think precedents sometimes need to be set, and this is one of them. You know, I'll, I'll just stay right at six. I don't think it's more. Uh, so I will say that it will be, I mean, on it, that it will be the six games. That is the minimum. That's your, your question here, Duke. So just the fact of the time of the game, what the situation was, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, Ridley Gregg, when he when he did that, I, I had no problem with him doing it. And then, as I said earlier, I, I didn't have a... I mean, there's going to be retribution when you do that and show up a team as a young player. It doesn't matter, any kind of player. Someone's going to come after you. You're going to face the music. And unfortunately for Morgan Riley, he ended up, if you want to call it, glancing off the shoulder, going up to the head. Fine, but it still went to the head. That's the problem here. If he would have just cross-checked him across the side of the arm... Maybe the wrist or something like that. He's not. It's not even getting near this. There's probably. It's probably not even a suspension, to be honest with you. If he does it to his, you know, to his arm, to his shoulder, something like that. But again, time of the game, David Perron. This that was after a play when Perron did it. This is, you know, this is two five seconds left in the game. So yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm in. I'm saying yeah, six games. That's what he's gonna get. Changing gears back. To the Super Bowl and the uh, halftime show, uh, of course, Usher and Alicia Keys was a confirmed guest, but we saw a few other surprise uh, performances. Uh, Lil John and Ludacris came out. Uh, Will <laughs> I Am, um, her, I, I, it stylizes H E R, but she did the guitar solo oh, um, at the one point. So a terrific, uh, yeah. terrific uh, work on the instrument there. But um, who was that? Her, oh. just capital H, capital E, capital R. Wow, it's like an ac- I don't know if it's an acronym or what, but either way, that's, she uh, was good. Yeah, the, uh, her. yeah, her her was great. Um, up until the appearance of Lil John and Ludacris, though, Usher's halftime show was a flop. I don't even think up until that. I, up you think until, it was a flop regardless? Right from the beginning, yeah. The, like the only thing that, that caught my eye again was when he was on the roller skates. That was cool. That was the only, but again, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure that was him the whole time because the, the blades came off quick, right? He didn't have them on at the end, did he? Nope. So... I'm, it could be a body double. But wasn't that like when he finished with the rollerblades, that's when like it went to Lil John in the crowd and like starting the the chanting and stuff. And then all of a sudden, now we're back on the stage. Oh, I don't there's know. Usher. It was just such a quick, off. it was a quick wardrobe change. I think we might have to go to the tape. Wouldn't yeah, that well, be something if it was a body double? <laughs> wow. Huge controversy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying the whole thing was a flop. Wasn't, so. wasn't for Not you, Not even right? top. I mean, I didn't like, who was last year, Rihanna? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was the year before I didn't like that one. You didn't I, like the one in L.A., like uh, with Dr. Dre? No, and, uh, no. Oh, I haven't geez. liked them for a long time, the Super yeah. Bowl halftime shows. I think they got to get back. It's too much smoke and mirrors for me. I just want to see 
Like, I mean, look at Green Day again. That was just good. Raw nice little concert real. bang, you know. Yeah. Bring it, get back. It's too much. Too many. It's just, Pomp and circumstance. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's just like George Strait and Pure Country, Duke, you know. Well, maybe they should have had Reba. Wow. Singing the national that was, anthem. That was a little controversial in its own right uh, because she said the word brave twice on the anthem and that took it over the uh, the set <laughs> line of time. So a lot of... Uh, EI Nate says confirmed Kevin Juice uh, Super Bowl body double. Sounds like maybe you were drinking doubles. <laughs> well, <laughs> that was happening too there, <laughs> EI Nate. <laughs> I'm going with Kevin on... The whole halftime show was a flop. I'm like, other than the roller skates? Fat Efron says, hey, Kevin, you go in your garage and find your rollerblades after the halftime show and try and copy Usher's moves. (laughs) I I would love to see that. I thought he was good. That's the only part I liked. Here's my thing. I like Usher. He's he's obviously incredibly talented, uh, dancer, singer, and some great collaborations with uh, Alicia Keys. That was um, very prominent, and then bringing out the big uh, the big names for the kind of compilation songs at the end. But does R and B music really lend itself to that environment? Like, I think rock. Like, they should just have a rock band yeah. every year. I don't like, like make you know old man shouting at clouds here, but I think that's the <laughs> best the best uh, type. For the thing, and I agree with you, Kevin. Like you can have a little of flash and dazzle mm-hmm. and stuff, but like people standing up there, strumming instruments, like singing to actually sing. Like Green Day is a pretty popular American band. Would I would I be safe in saying that? Yeah, they they still got some pull. Okay, definitely not as much as they did say twenty years ago. But what if you took Green Day and put them at the Super Bowl? How, would people go, "Wow, that was great"? Instead of the Great Cup, is what I'm saying. And here's my thing. With the Super, they obviously want big names, but it's the Super Bowl halftime show. People are going to watch it, no matter who's playing. Yeah. How long was the whole thing? Like, is it like forty-five minutes for the whole? No, God, no, no. no. With uh, not the show itself, but the whole halftime break. Oh, uh, would you say? Yeah, four? probably. Yeah. I mean, that's a long break, man. Was it really that long? Well, well okay, because I mean, you like have the twenty-five. You got the panel minutes. on for five minutes. Yeah, they got eight, your, you got your actual like minutes, halftime report. You know, and then you have a lot of commercials. Yep, so they're setting up the stage. Yeah, I'm betting it's it was probably f- like from the time that the the half ended till they kick to off. kick off is oh, probably 40 minutes. Probably. Yeah. Hmm. Already wrapping up, uh, we we did touch on this earlier, and it is fitting as it is the Monday after the Super Bowl. I'm saying whether it be Canadian American governments, the NFL, some collaboration between them, we need to get things sorted out so that this Monday after the Super Bowl is a national holiday. You know, it was a long day for me yesterday, Duke. <laughs> you know, we were at first did round. You, did, you, did you do all your um, your obligatory shots I for did, your doopies league? No, I, okay, I, I, no, I didn't do all of them, but I did, I think, three or four. That's pretty good, though. Not bad, but. Still makes for a long afternoon. Yeah, so, but Levers, he was right on board with it. He was going, he had, I believe, three as well. So uh-huh. I thought, was he the one that took half your, like in the trade? No, it's the oh. Stewie, another dummy. So <laughs> so I, I, if I get three or four down, that's fine. And then, of course, we had beers too. You yeah. Know, it wasn't like it was just doing shots. So uh, I am, I'm in for this, Duke. I could just use a Monday where everyone licks their wounds a little bit. <laughs> and it's, it's, it should be a, a stat holiday in the States. And if it's a stat holiday there, we can mo- move up family day as well like just move president's day up what if the nfl just pushed 
it's like starting back a week. I get it too. I, same, you know, same thing. It's Whatever. the same because like what it's obviously easier to move a football game like schedule than two well-established mm-hmm. national holidays. But uh, HVAC Nick, why couldn't they just have the Super Bowl on Saturday? Yeah. Fair question at this point in time. Well, it's the same. The Super Bowl is. This has been brought up for the Great Cup as well to move the Great Cup to a Saturday. But then you're missing out on an extra day of kind of ripping her up for for that events and stuff yes. and whatever. Yeah. So I'm fine where it is. Just got to you know tap her cool a little bit, LA. You know? Totally. Did you have a big spread or what did you have going? Like, did you get like did you have I don't know nachos or we had dinner, we had dessert, wow. we had dessert again. We had nibblies. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good day. So you're you're in on this one as well? Or I you just want another one. holiday? You'll just like I would like else. another holiday. I think, yeah. well, then that way I can stay up even later. And, yeah. You know, just catch all the news, mm-hmm. all the interviews, uh, the post-press conferences. And I just think it's, it's yeah, I think it's essential. No, yeah, I, I just would like to have another day off. That would be the thing. <laughs> So, well, LA, thanks for uh, coming in again. Two hours, and thanks for organizing things with uh, Steve Bauer. Yeah, glad we got him to, on. Yeah, and I mean, man, he's just busy. It sounds like he's busier now than he was when he was racing. I think so because he's coordinating all yeah. of the ins and outs and all the traveling. And I'm just sitting in France right now. It's what like it's probably like supper time there, and he's it probably is. just getting ready to have a nice little some kind of a, at a French dinner. restaurant, maybe some pastries, yes. a little bottle of glass uh, of vino, you know. Yeah. That's probably what he's doing right now. And he's just saying the same thing. Man, it was just great to go on, on the carry show with Munzer. That was the highlight of my day, yeah, as if. That's fine. <laughs> All right, thanks, Ellie. Thanks. Have a great uh, week. What do you got on tap? Anything cooking this week uh, in particular? i uh, got a couple events uh, coming up. And, uh, yeah, just rocking and rolling. Business Perfect. as usual. Awesome. Thanks. That's Laurie Munzer, our co-host, every Monday from... Uh, 8 to 10. When we come back, we'll have some open text time. We've got a couple uh, comments coming in about Super Bowl coverage, etc. Plus, Shereen Williams will wrap things up. Uh, Pro Football Focus at 10.20, one of the top writers in the NFL. Uh, before that, time now for a Sports 1440 update. Here is the Duke.